good spirits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great to have everyone here with us this morning. Sam, thank you for leading singing. You don't need a microphone. <laughs> just telling you. Just turn it off, Gary. The man does not need a microphone. He has a set of lungs. As skinny as he is, look what comes out of that. There's hope for us all, yes? Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. JoJo's with him. Uh, for some of you who've been around the Mission Viejo Church for several years, you may recognize JoJo. He worshiped with us here back around the year 2000 or so. So he's had a little homecoming here today. So we're thrilled to have you back with us and appreciate you coming out and supporting Sam. We really appreciate it. Again, welcome to our visitors. We thank you for being here. Uh, we have a saying here. We think this is one of the greatest churches in all the world, the universe, Mission Viejo, Orange County, California. I, I know, you know you're at Saddleback generally listening to Rick and you guys are in Lawton, Oklahoma and there's probably a great church there. And I don't know what's going on in El Paso. I've been there a few times, but there's probably some pretty good churches there. But, you know, for what we have here, we like it. And we're a little biased, I'm just going to tell you. We're biased. We do like it here. Uh, we like to be family. We treat each other like family. And you know what that's like, right? Yes? I mean, sometimes it's really good, and sometimes it's like, I cannot believe this in my family. But that's the way we are here. We're real. We're very real. And this morning in the sermon, we're going to talk about hopefully being a little bit more real. Um, I, I want to take your attention to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at chapter 4 this morning, so for those of you who'd like to, to turn to that, we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute. But I want to talk about two words with you a little bit before we get into the text this morning. The words are uh, uh, transparent and vulnerable. You know, all of us, not all of us, many, many of us, have, Gary, this is a little hot, can you turn this down just a little, thanks. Many of us have uh, a lot of friends in our, in our lives, right? We have a lot of acquaintances, we have some even really, really close friends, and on occasion, we know something about the friends of our spouses, for those of us who are married, or some of you have close friends, and you know something about some of their friends. So, so it's kind of neat when we know people. It's kind of neat when we know them intimately. Most people, generally in their lives, will have five or six at most very, very, very close, intimate friends. That's about it. And if we were to go around the room and if we were all bold enough or brave enough to stand up and say, hey, you know what, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be willing to admit or confess, guess what, you would probably stand up and you would say, you know what, I have three or four or five really, really close friends that if something ever happened in my life, I would go to them and I'd have a conversation. And you can talk about anything with them, right? The reality, though, is that many of us, as a matter of fact, probably all of us, we don't live in that environment very often. Even with those of us who are married and have a spouse at home, we don't necessarily live in an intimate relationship very often. We live in a very transparent world. When the service is over today, I'll be standing at the doors as you exit the auditorium, going out into the courtyard. And I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I would offer this to you. Most of you, when you leave the building, you're going to say something like this. Nice sermon, Ed. Whether you mean it or not. Because that's what we do. Are you going to say something like this? Hey, how you doing today? And sometimes you really don't want to know how they're doing. And some people you know to never ask that question of because you'll get an answer. And 25 minutes later, you're still getting the answer. 
And then there's that conversation with someone that's very deep. There's this gal, her name is Vicki. She lives in Placentia. She, you know what, she graduated from Valencia High School. Go Tigers. She has a cute little dog. She's got a husband named Brad. A couple of kids. Great family. She works in the mortgage business. She changed jobs recently. Started with a new company because she was working 70 hours a week and she was sick and tired of working 70 hours a week, so she decided to get a new job. She went with another company, now she's only working 40. Novel concept, yes? She's living the life. She and her husband have been in Southern California virtually all of their lives. Great family, good folks. And when I see Vicki, when I see her, she's a friend of Lynn, she's a friend of mine. Sam even knows her. It's Vicki Hall, Vicki and Brad Hall, who I'm talking about, you know that couple. When I see Vicki, I can walk up to her and I can say, Vicki, how are you doing? Great to see you. Hey, how's the mortgage business? Where are the interest rates today? How's Brad doing? Hey, what are the kids doing now? You know, they're, they're kind of on their own. They're right there on the verge of being out of the house. You're almost empty nesters. What's going on with the kids? And I can have a conversation like that with her all the time. And she can see me and she'll say, Ed, I'm doing great. How are you? Great to see you. Hey, how's Lynn? What's going on with Lynn? And we can have this wonderful conversation. But it's honestly, honestly, it's about as deep as a single page in a book. And we go through our entire lives, for the most part, having those kinds of conversations. And it's not necessarily that they're bad conversations, they're good conversations, and sometimes they're very healthy conversations. And on occasion, on occasion, those kinds of conversations over time will lead to a deeper, intimate relationship with an individual. Because generally, <laughs> that's where they start. You don't usually start with the deepest, darkest of things when you meet someone. It's a little weird. To walk up to someone and say, oh, by the way, how's your marriage doing? That's just a little weird if you don't know them. Or you walk up to them and say, now this is a little crazy too. I recognize you, but I don't remember your name. But you've been here before, yes? My name is Ed. My name is Vernon. Vernon, good to see you. Pleasure. Vernon, how's your relationship with Jesus today? Excellent. Good. But if I never knew Vernon in my life and I walked up to him on the street and I said, how's your relationship with Jesus? He'd say, dude, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Generally speaking, now you may not because you're... Yes, you would because you're a man of God. I know that. But you understand what I'm saying? If you were to walk up to somebody just out of the cold blue and do that, they would look at you like, what, what rock did you just crawl out from under? And I don't want to be around you. We have, we have this transparent superficial existence. And there's this man whose name is Jesus who cuts right through all of that stuff. And he wants to cut through that with you. But see, because we are so acclimated to and so accustomed to and so used to having those kind of relationships with people that we talk to every day, sometimes we have the exact same kind of relationship with Jesus. So, why'd you come here today? Why, why'd you come to church today? Sam came because he had to lead singing. He was gracious enough to come and fill in for Skeeter. And Mel came because I saw him at breakfast the other day and he said, you're preaching Sunday? I said, yeah. He said, good, I'm coming to hear you. That's the only reason he came, I think. Why did you come? Now, I want you to think about this because the reality is most of us, we have, this, we have this habit. We have this habit. We have this tradition. We have this thing that we do. It's called Sunday morning. 
And on Sunday morning, we get up and we take a shower, we dress ourselves, and we look nice, and we look probably better today than we did Monday through Saturday. And because we've dressed up a little bit to come to church, and here we are, and we're going to sing a few songs and do the Lord's Supper. We're going to share in the communion. We're going to make the offering unless you give online, and that's all automatic for you. And we're going to say, hello, good to see you. How are you doing? Great to see you. And then we're going to leave. And as important as our time is to gather here, I want you to think about how intimate can that conversation ever get when that's about it. Jesus goes a little deeper with us. I want to show you kind of how he does that in John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible and you want to use the one in the pew, I'm on page 752. They're all just alike, all the little black hardcover Bibles in the pew. John chapter 4, page 752. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, because it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered her and he said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. And then Jesus told her, Well, go, go ask your husband. Go, go call your husband and come back. And she replied, I have no husband. And then Jesus said to her, You're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they, see, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or, or why are you talking with her? 
And then leaving her water jar, the woman went into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said to them, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Then I'd say, wait four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest, the crop, uh, even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you haven't worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days because of his words. Many more believed. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. There was a movie that came out a few years ago. Pixar Studios, a little animated Disney, whatever you call it, group, made this movie called Up. Some of you may have seen that. It's a great movie. If it weren't for that movie, I would have never lived on a boat. It's a long story I'll tell you later. I'm going to take my wife to see that movie this afternoon because you never know where that could lead to. It's always a boat in my life. But in that movie, there's this little dog. And the dog kind of shows up out of the middle of nowhere because... He's out searching for this bird. I don't know if you guys remember this scene in the movie, but, but he's searching for this bird, and then he runs upon the old man and the little boy as they're hauling this house around on balloons to get to this special place. And the dog comes up, and he starts talking about his master's master, and he's telling about his master's master is so good, and his master's taught him to speak. And his master's taught him to speak in all kinds of different languages. Just turn the knob right here. And all of a sudden, the little dog says, Squirrel! And that quickly, he changes the topic of the conversation. Squirrel! And it's become such a popular expression that oftentimes now when someone wants to change the conversation, even in our dialogue with people, we'll say, Squirrel! And all of a sudden, that's the key that says we can change. Well, guess what this lady did in this conversation with Jesus? Here he is. Jesus meets this woman. And he asks her for a drink of water, and she's not really exactly sure why this Jewish man is talking to this Samaritan woman and all this kind of things. But, but all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. She's like, oh, I, I, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right, you don't. And then she says, squirrel. But she says it in this way. Oh, oh, by the way, we're supposed to worship on the mountain. You say we're supposed to worship over here. You see, all she's doing is trying to protect herself. From the fact that Jesus has cut right to the heart of her life. And he has cut right through everything. And he's getting to the very thing that is probably the most tender, the most, the most vulnerable, the most audacious thing in her life that she has to deal with. And it's the very fact that she's had five husbands and the guy she's with now, she's shacking up with this dude. And everybody in town knows it. And she's been found out. And she's trying to figure out how in the world does this man know that I'm shacking up with this guy and he's not my husband. And the best way for me to deal with this is say, squirrel. 
And she tries to embark upon this deep philosophical religious conversation with Jesus. And Jesus is so smooth. He's so cool. Because Jesus just says, you know what? You don't have to worry about that. Because the day is coming when you don't have to worry worship in that mountain or down in Jerusalem. You're going to worship just in spirit and truth. And then he comes right back into it. You see, you and I do the exact same things in our relationships with Jesus. We don't mind having this little transparent little conversation. Let's just be on the surface. Jesus, everything is so cool. I'm at church today, and you know, we did the songs today, and Sam was great, and the service was cool, and the sermon was amazing, and, and everything is good. And, and man, I even went to Bible school today. And I read my Bible this week. I read three times, and, 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 and all is good. And Jesus, I'm praying more now. But then when we get to the heart of something that's really, really sensitive and about which we can be extremely vulnerable and we're so vulnerable that it hurts when Jesus touches it, then we say, squirrel! And we try to change the topic and we try to change the direction of the conversation and we try to change the direction of where Jesus is taking us because we don't want to deal with that which hurts. But until, until you and I can allow Jesus to touch us in the deepest, remotest, sometimes the darkest part of our lives, guess what? It's always up here. The two verses of Scripture that are really the most important verses of Scripture in this whole sermon are in verse 29 and in verse 42. A lot of times when you hear this story, you think, well, the most important verse of Scripture in this story is the statement that Jesus made about the fact that you're no longer going to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. It's going to worship in spirit and truth. And then we go through this long discourse, and there have been books and volumes of books written on what is true worship. Good luck figuring that one out. Because see, if God really wanted you to know exactly, exactly what worship is supposed to be like, he would have written it down. Because he's good at writing stuff down. Verse 29. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. See, you and I think we have secrets. You and I think God doesn't know about... Mm. I have news for you, he knows. Well, God really doesn't know. Jesus doesn't really know what I did. Let me tell you a secret. Jesus knows what you did. Well, he doesn't really know how I feel because of what... Come out. Jesus knows. He knows everything that there is to know about you. Everything he knows about you. It's just easier for us and it's less painful for us personally if we'll just keep it on the shallow, transparent. Yeah, we'll let him in. We'll let him see kind of through the glass, but we're not going to let him in the building. We're not going to let him into our heart. And as soon as something starts getting down, in here, in, down here into our heart and it starts messing with us emotionally and it starts kind of ripping us up and we're like, man, I don't know if I can deal with this. All of a sudden we go, squirrel! And we change the subject. 
and we throw the attention somewhere else or to someone else or on something else or about something else or against something else so that it takes the light, takes the spotlight off of us and off of our hearts so that we can walk away with dignity. I'm telling you guys, Jesus already knows everything there is about you. And the most amazing thing with Jesus knowing all of that is found in verse 42. He is the Savior of the world. And in spite of all of your brokenness, in spite of all of your quirkiness, in spite of all of your arrogance or pride or whatever it is that you think that you're dealing with that you don't want anyone else to know about, Jesus knows all of that. And in spite of all of that, He still is willing to save you. That's why He came. See, the problem and the challenge that we have is not, it's not with Jesus trying to reach us. It's with us being open and honest and willing to allow Him to hear us and to feel us and to see us without trying to gloss it over and make it into something that we would be proud of. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and He knows everything about you already, and you have no secrets with Jesus. So what does that do for us? Well, for, for beginners, we can stop saying squirrel so much. We don't have to worry about it. Because the one who loved us enough to come here and to give his life for us and to die on the cross for us, he loved you in spite of all of your stuff. And he loved you so much that he was willing to go to the cross before you were even born. You've done some horrible things. I've done some horrible things. Ask her. She can tell you about them. She's lived through some of them. Guys, our brokenness is why Jesus came. Our sin is why He loves us. See, God, for thousands of years, tried to, figure, tried to help us figure this out. I told you a minute ago, if you ever really want to figure out worship, good luck. Because if God needed us to really know what it was, he'd write it down. He tried that once. Did you know that? It's called the Ten Commandments. How'd that work out for us? How's it worked out for you in your life? Can you keep the Ten Commandments? Just ten. That's all we ask. Just ten. And the reality is we can't even keep the ten all the time, guys. He tried to speak to people in person. He walked in the garden. There was this person, these persons called Adam and Eve, and he showed up. What did they do? They went off and sinned. What did they do after that? They hid themselves. They put on fig leaves. I don't know if you know anything about fig leaves, but they're abrasive to the skin. Did you know that? Go figure. Why would they pick fig leaves? Maybe because they're just big. I don't know. 
God walked among us. It didn't work out so well. He gave us the law. How'd that work out? Not so well. Could we keep it? No way. He sends judges. How'd that work out? Mm, not very good. They kept messing up. They kept messing up. He sends them to the promised land. What'd they do? Ah, they messed that up so bad they got to spend 40 more years in the wilderness. And when they get to the promised land, how'd that work out? Not so very good. Finally, finally, Jesus sends, or, or God sends his son Jesus, born of a virgin, Mary, in a little swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. How'd that work out? Not so good. Because we killed him. But when God sent him and Jesus came, he knew he was going to die. And he knew he was going to die for you. He knew he was going to die for me because we are that messed up. And God knew that there was no other way. There is no other way that we could ever have an opportunity to spend eternity with him except with Jesus. So my question for you is will you allow yourself to be seen with all of your warts and all of your bumps and all of your discrepancies and all of your hypocrisies and all of your stuff? Will you let God see that? And will you become an open book to him? Because that's really what this story is about. Jesus asks us to be vulnerable with him. Is it going to hurt? Are you kidding me? Of course it's going to hurt. You did something stupid. You did something bad. You did something to hurt somebody. You did something to hurt yourself. Are there going to be consequences? Uh, probably. But he's here to heal your heart. And regardless of what happened, regardless of who was hurt, regardless of how bad you hurt yourself, he is the healer. So this morning, I just ask you to consider living a life that's just a little bit more vulnerable than what you've been accustomed to. Years ago, I was at a little seminar. A fellow was presenting the seminar. Some of you know his name, Joe Beam. Pretty infamous preacher several years ago. He's a good guy. Lives in Nashville area now, does counseling predominantly. But at this little seminar that I was at, men's retreat with him, he made a comment that stuck with me for years and years and years and years. He said, you know what, guys? He said, even if your sin is private, and even if you didn't sin against somebody here, you still need to confess those words out loud. Because there's something about speaking the word there's something about hearing your own voice speak to God and say, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please be with me. Please help me. There's something about hearing those words out loud that brings healing. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another. That's what it says. Now, I'm not going to say we're all going to stand up here and start doing confessional. That's not what I'm getting at. But I want you to understand there's power in spoken word. There's power in speaking. There's power in asking out loud for God to be with you and to heal you and to fix you and to heal those circumstances that are part of your life. And so this morning, I invite you to be vulnerable and say those words out loud that you've been afraid to say out loud. And let the healing begin. Allow God, through Christ and His Spirit, to begin to touch you and heal you.
and mend you and make all things new again. The story I've heard, seen it in different publications, different times, heard different people tell the story, and it's a story that goes something like this. There's the cross. For every time that you sin, go up there and drive a nail. When you pull the nail out, the sin is forgiven, but the scar is still there. Well, I have good news for you. The story's a lie. Because when Jesus heals you, there's no scar. When he truly heals you, there's no scar. And it's gone. So I invite you to be a part of the healing process. Speak the words to Christ. Speak the words through the Spirit to God so that he may begin the healing process. You can be transparent. You can be vulnerable. And I challenge you to allow yourself to be vulnerable to Christ touching you and moving in your life. We're going to sing this song. And Sam's going to come lead us. Is it for me? My question is very simply, is Jesus for you? I suspect that you wouldn't be in this building this morning if you weren't interested in some, re some re respects to Jesus and being, Him being a part of your life. But my real challenge for you is, will you really, really, really allow yourself to be open and vulnerable to Him so that He can do with you what He really needs to do with you and move you in ways that maybe you've never allowed Him to move you before, but do amazing things in your life? So we're going to stand and sing this song. Sam, come and lead us. If we can help you in any way, I'll be here in the front. There will be other shepherds in the back. We'll be glad to address your needs with you. Yes, it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest. For me so weak and sinful, oh, shall I be.